The Financial Planning South Africa podcast is intended for professional financial advisors. All discussion is limited to publicly available information and should not be interpreted as legal, professional or financial advice. Hi, I'm Louis van der Merwe, Certified Financial Planner. Join me every week where I get to have discussions with global leaders in the financial planning space to help you serve your clients better and run a more efficient financial planning practice. This is Financial Planners South Africa podcast. Portfolio Metrics is thrilled to bring you this podcast in support of our common passion for people and the evolution of wealth management. Our global business links precision investment management to expert financial advice through partnerships and technology. Portfolio Metrics is an authorized financial services provider. Comspace is a revenue management solution developed specifically for independent financial advisors. It is a web-based application that tracks, allocates, and manages advisor revenue. The system seamlessly reads commission statements from financial institutions and can address any permutation of commission splits. Comspace provides mind-blowing, out-the-box revenue business intelligence and analytics, along with super-flexible reporting to effectively manage and grow your business. Welcome to another episode of Financial Planners South Africa. Today in the studio, I have with me Johan Wistesen. Johan is a good friend and has also been my coach for the last couple of months. Johan, thank you so much for joining me today to unpack the last 40 years in financial services. What a milestone. Thank you, Louis. Uh, it's really an honor and a pleasure to join, to join you today on the podcast. Now, I know that role hasn't always been the role of a coach. It included being a financial planner and engaged with clients. Tell us that story of how you got into financial services, because it, it is quite a unique one, I think. Well, I think uh, the shock for many people will be that we started when 40 years ago. There was no one called a financial planner. You were an insurance agent, and then you become a, a financial advisor, and that's how it evolved over the years. So yeah, I, I got into the industry, I think, like many people by accident. I was training in a gym and I was asking one of the people in the gym to help me. And that guy was a, a manager at one of the largest insurance companies in South Africa. And he, like we all know, recruited me by telling me all these beautiful stories about, Johan, you're going to make tons and, and, and buckets of money. And that immediately interested me a lot. So that's how I ended up in the industry, started as an insurance agent in 1983, in the beginning of the year. This is a theme that often comes up, that kind of monetary um, carrot, I would say, where people say, oh, this, this could really be a lucrative career. I mean, even myself, I interviewed for a position at one of the insurance companies. I wouldn't mention them. And the interviewer said to me, I'll guarantee that you'll make more money than your dad is making in the first year. And so that's, I just didn't believe the story that they told me because it, I couldn't think that it would be based on fact. Was that your experience? Was it a very lucrative career during that lifetime? Yeah, it was a very lucrative career for the people who made a success in the career. But you and I also know, because you've also been in the career for many years up to now, it's not the easiest thing to, to sit with people and uh, 
convince them to do business with you and, and, and buy insurance or do investment. So the fallout rate, and I know the figures, even after 40 years, is exactly the same that what it was 40 years ago, meaning that I would say 10% of the people who start in this industry at the end end up making it a career 10, 20, 30, 40 years in the industry. Uh, I think the first 80% are out of the industry within the first two years. So, yeah, it's not an easy industry. And in the beginning, the support was not that great. I mean, there were only two basic, and they call it training courses of two weeks. The first one was compulsory. You had to attend that. The second one, you could make up your mind to do it. And 99% of the people don't go to the second course. So everyone had a two-week training and that was how we started in the industry. It's fascinating that it hasn't really changed. We haven't made it easier for advisors or agents or planners to to stick it out. Yeah, I mean, it's such an unbelievable industry itself for the people and like yourself who's been in the industry I, I believe there's no other industry that, that can give you the satisfaction that you can get in, in this industry. And I would think if I was an uh, employer who would like to get people to come and work for me, I would like to make it as easy as possible for them to join the industry. And if you just can imagine what is the cost for these companies recruiting people and 80% of them aren't there after two years, it must be horrendous thinking about the cost. So yeah, I can't understand the business model of the industry. That just doesn't make sense for me. But yeah, you're right. It hasn't changed in 40 years. This is something that they debated at this year's FBI convention at length, partly because the advisors doesn't reflect the South African communities, but also partly because of this big dropout. And no one seemed to have a solution other than changing the remuneration model, saying, if we're based on, on sales, you're setting these guys up for, for failure. Louis, but even if you look at the model, uh, they appointed these people and they still might, don't make it. So I always question, but can't you make up your mind? I mean, you, you assess the people for 40 years exactly the same way. They're still not making it. Shouldn't you say to yourself, but there's something wrong with how we recruit people? And that was one of the things that I... Uh, discovered when I stumbled through the Gallup stuff and they did the research on 250,000 salespeople and I read that book in 2002 and I went back to the training department of this large insurance company and I present to them what I've learned out of the book and they said to me, Juan, uh, we're not going to do that. Uh, we're still going to keep on doing what we are doing. Yeah, the results are still the same. But I know why the people aren't making it in the industry because we assess them on on their competency. Do they have the qualifications? Maybe they've got a little bit of experience. Maybe they've been a salesman at a car company or selling something else. So that's what that's their benchmark. And I don't say you shouldn't use that. But the missing link out of the Gallup research is you also have to assess. Will this individual love doing the work? Do they get up in the morning with a tinkle in their voice and uh, energy to go to work? And that's what they don't assess. All the successful people in any industry will tell you that they love what they are doing. That's why they are still doing it. 
Juan, is this the same as a passion for what you're doing? Yeah. I think a passion is the starting point. But how many people can really identify their passion? Uh, so it's not a passion to say, okay, I love to work with people. That's too broad. You have to narrow it down to say, okay, what is it that you really love doing and helping people? And in this industry, you can pinpoint that exactly. And I know the successful people in the industry will say to you, I love working with a specific kind of individual. Uh, I myself said to me in the industry, I don't work with lawyers. I don't work with engineers because I'm not an analytical person. I don't like to analyze stuff. So I bypass those people. And I quickly realized this is the type of individual that I would like to work with. We immediately bond. We talk the same language. And it was just so much easier doing it like that. But it starts with what you've said. You have to know yourself very well to find out what is your passions, what make you get up in the morning, where's the energy coming from. And that, in my mind, is the missing link in the industry. This is fascinating. And I'd like to explore a little bit this idea of having a niche target market and saying, okay, these are people that I'm actively going to exclude, like you were saying, engineers, attorneys, people that are by nature analytical. Does that mean you would turn away that business? Yes. Or is it really just the focus area is gaining clients that are less analytical? I turned away those clients. For me, it was easy to say to them, you know what, John, uh, with all the respect, and it's not that I don't want to work with you, but you're going to irritate me and I'm going to irritate you. So we're not going to have a great relationship. I would rather refer you to someone else who's got the mindset like you as an engineer. And people respect you when you say that to them. But what is the problem in the industry in the beginning, the business model? You don't get any fixed income or salary. So three weeks down the month and you know the income is not there, what do you start do? You start looking for anyone that's looking for a, a policy and you try and sell them a policy. So the business model is forcing the people uh, having the wrong habits at the end of the day. Someone once said they work with anyone that fogs a mirror. So as yeah. long as you're alive, you can be a client. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, does this speak to that kind of abundance mindset, working on knowing what you're good at, knowing who you'll be serving and actively having people knocking on your door i can un yeah. completely understand if there's no one no alternative you you take what you get yeah yeah and there's an easy way to get those people because people in the beginning say okay where do i going to get my potential clients if you're a golfer go and look for the people on the golf course i was a very keen uh, athlete and i trained in the gym every day so in the beginning lots of my clients start there Having a conversation around the coffee table, talk to the people in the gym. What do you do? What do you do? And that's how you end up having the right people in your business at the end of the day. You and I know that there are many financial planners, say five or 10 years down the line, they look at their client base and they say to themselves, you know what, 70% of the people that is in my existing client base, I don't really want to work them with them. Maybe I'm not even having contact with him over the last two or three years. So how cruel is that to the client, not getting the service that they deserve because you don't really want to work with him, but you've made them your client in the beginning. And I guess the tension that you put on yourself saying, oh, this is someone I should service or I have to service, but yet 
I don't enjoy it. I don't like them. How do we start changing that? We start changing that by starting with ourselves. The individual, the potential financial planner in the industry have to know him or her so well that they can turn away business and they can say to people, you know what, this is not going to be a right fit. You're going to fit better working with Louis and not with Johan. So it all starts with yourself. And that's the one thing that we know. People, if they really are honest with themselves, don't know who they are. That's so true. And I mean, even with my approach where I've started changing, saying I primarily work with widowed clients going through this major life transition, it has meant that I can focus my skills and my expertise around serving that client base. But what you're saying is that it starts with yourself. It starts with doing that kind of inner work. What would that process look like? I mean, let's say someone engaged you um, as their coach. How would you discover those unique talents and strengths? Well, first of all, I was I will just have a normal conversation with this individual and see if I can pick up some of these talents and strengths that they have. Uh, we know that people who likes to communicate will talk a lot. We know that uh, the analytical people will always analyze the information that I send through to them. So I will just have a normal conversation and see if I can pick up on some of these things. Uh, I want to, to look the, the client in the eye. I want to smell their breath. I want to pick up, are there any energy between the two of us? If there's a good vibe and there's good energy already, that's a good sign for me. And then I will motivate them to go and do a simple assessment. It's not going to cost them an arm and a leg. Uh, even if they don't work with me afterwards, it's going to add value to that individual. They can use the report. They can take the information moving on in their career or in their personal life. There's no string attached. I just motivate the people. And the way that I work as a coach, for me, that, that's a, a sign if someone Go and do the assessment. For me, that's a sign that they are committed and they, they would like to do something. If they don't do the assessment, for me, it's also a sign that they're not really committed to work and do something. I mean, Johan, just from my experience, the I want to say the sales approach that you follow is one that is very patient and one that is very supportive and saying, well, when when the client is ready, they will come back. How did you cultivate something like that? Because that's probably not something that comes from by default. Louis, the reality is that everything that we do in our lives, we are busy selling. You were selling yourself to your beautiful wife to marry you. We are always selling. So there's such a bad stigma around selling. And I can understand it because 90% of the people out there calling themselves salespeople or whatever, don't have a lot of training yeah, they are what we say, those sleazy salespeople, and I agree 100% with that. But if you really start looking at uh, the role of a professional salesperson, I rate them the same as a lawyer and an accountant and an engineer and a doctor because they are real professionals. So how did I get to that point? Uh, if you go into my study and you know that I'm a fond reader, you will see there's 300 books that, that's only about sales. I made a point of it to read a book on sales every month for the last 40 years. And people say to me, but Johan, you are crazy. Why do you do that? I said, I don't think I'm crazy because out of all those books, 
what I've picked up and I've learned over the years, there's one thing that you will find in one book that you will not find in any other book. And I'm looking for that one thing, that 10% that I'm going to get out of this one book. And yeah, over 30 years, reading 300 books on sales, if I just take the 1% or 10%, I can write three new books on sales. So yeah, uh, it's a deliberate focus of me to, to learn and read about these things and to improve and, and make myself a better individual out there because it's not just about your occupation, it's about life. And as you said, this is one of your unique strengths and talents, that learner, that ability. So this, uh, this speaks to me when, when I hear all these books. I'm, I'm curious, what's your, what's your favorite or what, what is the sales book that has made the biggest impact on your life? Um, the sales book that made the biggest impact on my life was a guy from America, and he was an unbelievable financial planner in the early 30s and 40s. How to mar- uh, no, that was Tom Hopkins, How to Master the Art of Selling is one of the books. But yeah, I've got about 10 books out of all 300 books that I read every December. I read the same 10 sales book every December. Uh, so yeah, there are a few books that, that really made an impact and yeah, we can share it with the listeners via link. You can still buy some of these books. They are in reprint, but that was the salesman in, in, in the financial services industry that made a huge impact in me. And, and, and the model that I've built over the years, I would say 50% of my model today came out of that one book. That's fascinating. And I mean, Johan, for you reading those same 10 books every December, what's your intention behind that? Is it just a refresher? Are you looking for things that you've missed previously? Share with us the rationale behind that. I'm not looking for things that I've missed, but I realize everything, every time that I read the book, I've missed something. I think uh, we are in a specific mindset when we read a book and some things just jump jump out to you and you can relate to it and you take it and you implement it. So, yeah, the goal is to, to go and look for those things that I've missed over the other years reading the same book. And funny enough, every time there's something new that jump out to me and I make a note of it and say, but this is cool. Let's see how I can implement it and, and fine-tune the model and what I do with my clients. So, yeah, I'm looking for new stuff every time when I read the same book. I recall one of my previous guests on the show, Dr. Moira Summers, saying that every December she reads Essentialism, which is a book that helps her to focus and reminds her to hone in on the things that really matter. And, you know, she's also a mutual acquaintance with the two of us, and and you've kind of been very instrumental in sharing the work that uh, Susan Bradley and the Transitionist Institute does. How did that happen? Can you share with us a little bit that story? Because Mariette Tappan was also a guest and I, and I know the two of you have been working together for, for many years. Yeah, Louis, as you are aware of, I've left the industry 12 years ago in 2011 uh, and decided that I'm going to start something new, become a full-time coach. And the Gallup information was always something that, that uh, made an impact on me. So I went for my first training uh, as a Gallup coach. And in 2017, Gallup invited me over to the States to their yearly conference for all the coaches all over the world to be a speaker there. And sitting around the table, you know how it goes at this conference, the people start to talk. And I've met a lady there, and I know that you've also met her, Maureen, 
And we started to talk, and Noreen said to me, do you know about the Sudden Money Institute? And I said, no, never. Tell me more. And she told me about the Sudden Money Institute and Susan Bradley, that was a, that's a close friend there. And it's something ring in my head, and I said, I must go and look at this and make this something and, and do my research. And I did my research on the Sudden Money Institute, and I realized that Moira was part of the organization. She was on their board. And I came back, and Mariette Tappen was my client at that stage. And I said to Mariette, I've been working with you now for seven years, and this is the last little puzzle that we are looking for, building the picture for your future. But I also said to Mariette, I'm not going to force you. I'm going to give you the information, do your own research, and you make the decision if you want to do this. So, yeah, Mariette made the decision, and she started with the training in the beginning of 2018. And I know that you also did the training. So, you, you and Mariette are one of only three people in South Africa who did the training from the Sudden Money Institute. I think it's an unbelievable advanced CFP qualification. And I wish many other people would also like and, and, and do the, uh, uh, that training and get the qualification. It does seem like it's gaining momentum. I mean, there's quite a few South Africans that are enrolling into this and saying, I'm looking for something something more because the traditional financial planning is not working with my clients when they go through these life transitions. I'd love to hear your take on on how you've become this visionary. Like, How do you cultivate the skill of thinking ahead 10 or 20 or 30 years. Like you mentioned with Mariette, this is the piece of the puzzle that we still need. Louis, uh, like I said, right in the beginning, you have to know yourself very well. I think I know myself very well. And if you go into my Gallup Clifton Strength Assessment, the talent theme of Futuristic is, is in my top five. Strategic is there, also in the top five. Maximizer is there, meaning that I would like to do things in an excellent way. So, yeah, I think it's that combination, a strategic, futurista, futuristic, and maximizer. That's just how, how my mind operates. I look at stuff, and I see the picture, and I look into the future. And, and yeah, that's where I talk to other people, and they say to me, but, Johan, what are you talking about? Are you crazy? We don't see what you are seeing. I said, okay, it will happen. And, yeah, things that's happening now in the industry – I said exactly this is going to happen 10 years ago. And now the things are starting to play out. So, yeah, I already have a vision for the future, what's going to happen. Uh, I think there's there's a lot of disruption is going to happen in the industry for a good reason. And I promote that. And I'm, I'm always positive about that. But it's an exciting time in the industry. I think the next 10 years is going to be very, very exciting. You really have this gift of kind of igniting that flame and getting someone excited for the future. But when we look at someone successful, I think it's just natural to say, oh, I want to do what they do instead of kind of like you're saying is go inward and figure out what you're good at and then apply that. Why has that become the default? You know, I, I want to copy that person. I want to, I want to do that. Is it just because it's easier? I think it's the way that we brought up, uh, Louis. 
we're always looking at other people that is so-called successful and we want to, to, to copy them. That's the way that we are brought up. Uh, and, and, and the Gallup research will point out to you, there's a, there's a different strategy. Start with yourself. Yeah, look at Louis and look at all the other successful people and take some of the stuff that they do. But don't copy someone 100%. In fact, it's impossible to do that. You and I are unique individuals on our own. There's no one with what you've got to offer the world out there. I always say to the financial planners when I talk to them, I ask them the question, what is your competitive advantage in the industry? And all the hands go up and they say, Johan, I've got 20 years of experience. I've got my CFP qualification. I've got 2,000 clients. All those answers that everyone will say. And I say, you know what? You're all wrong. That is not your competitive advantage. Why? There's many other people in the industry who can say exactly the same. Your competitive advantage is your uniqueness. There's no one like you. Go and find out what is your uniqueness, your fingerprint, and focus on that and offer that to the world. That's what everyone should do, I believe. It seems like that uniqueness has been suppressed somehow. We see that in our client base when we talk about to our clients about their strengths and what they're good at and their natural talents. And very few seem to be able to identify that. And particularly women going through major life transitions. It feels like they often feel that they don't have anything to offer. So how does confidence play a role in starting that journey to discover your, your strengths? Louis, again, if we look the way that we brought up since we were little, everyone, your parents, your colleagues, the teacher in school, was mainly focusing on those things that you struggle with. And they call it a weakness. And they, they convince you that there's something wrong with you and they want you to fix that weakness. But no one compliment you on those things that you like to do and where you are the best in. So eventually you end up thinking that, that, that there's something wrong with you, thinking that you've got nothing to offer. So how do you get that confidence? It should start when you are little. Parents have a huge responsibility to look at their kids in a different way. To look at your son and you can pick up, there's a competition talent there, and to motivate him to be more competitive uh, and do things like that. To look at your little girl and see there's a lot of empathy there and motivate her to be more like that. It's a different mindset, and we don't have that mindset. And that's what I pick up like you with all the people that I talk with. The self-confidence is very low. Uh, they don't think they're good enough. They don't think that they can offer anything to the world. But once they start to realize how unique they are and what they can really offer the world, the lights come on and it's a different individual that sits in front of you. Johanna was listening to a podcast over the last week where an international musician, he's a drummer for quite a big rock band, said that at the age of 11, for Christmas gift, he got a drum set. And, you know, for for any parent that uh, have had noisy toys, or my parents included, listening to, to this, be banging the drums, you almost expect that someone would come and say, oh, you need to stop that, or you need to quiet down. But what happened to this guy is that every family member, and there was about 20 of them at this Christmas dinner, 
came into the room while he was playing drums and they said, great, this is such an awesome job. Keep it up. Uh, we love what you're doing. Every single one of them. And for that guy at the age of 11, he made a decision saying, wow, I want to be a musician. And I don't think we often realize how these positive moments or these positive impacts can almost set someone on a path for the rest of that life. I mean, this child yeah. decided that at the age of 11. And, and I love what you're saying is that kind of lean towards those strengths. How do you become confident enough in yourself to be able to identify strengths with someone else? I mean, even your, your children, I guess it's, it's easy to be critical. It's easy to be critical. That's why I've said everything starts with yourself, Louis. If you really know who you are, you become more confident. You realize that there's nothing wrong with you. Uh, in fact, we don't have a weakness. It's just a lesser strength. Uh, so, yeah, the, the, the bottom line is start with yourself. And that will branch out to your immediate family that's very close to you. And that can be your, your partner or your children. And it branches out to the colleagues in your work and from there to your clients. And that's what I say to the financial planner. Just look at the impact that you can have. If you start to realize these things, think about the impact that you're going to have with your immediate family, with your own colleagues, your team members that's with you in the organization, and think about the impact that you can have with your clients. You've got 300 or 150 clients. Uh, it's a huge impact that you can have starting to think in a different way, focusing on your uh, on your strength and manage around those things that are lesser strength. So part of this is the kind of multi-dimensional aspect of strengths. You're not just good at one thing, but there's oftentimes multiple strengths at play. How do you start identifying these? I know you've talked about the assessment, but how do you train yourself to say, oh, well, these are my strengths that are that are coming out. Is it just that intentionality of analyze when you've had a good uh, a good result and figure out what, what contributed to that? It's an easy exercise that you can do on a piece of paper, Louis. You look over a week and you start to, to, to record yourself and, and see what are you doing every hour and you ask the question, how do I feel? Do I have a lot of energy or do I have a low level of energy? And those things where you have a high level of energy – you should start thinking about what is happening here. Why do I have all this energy doing this specific task? Am I busy analyzing stuff? Do I have a great uh, conversation with the other colleague? What is happening when I have this a lot of energy? That is a sign that maybe that could be a strength or talent. But we don't do that. We don't sit down and we reflect back on what is happening every day with us. We are so busy in this rat race, moving from point A to point B, and we don't do that. But you can just, like John Maxwell said, 15 minutes every evening before you go to bed, just reflect back on what happened today, the positive and the negative. And that's how you can pick up that maybe that could be a talent, and you can develop that talent to a strength, and that will have a huge impact, not just for yourself, but for the rest of the world. I love this, Johan. And can you share with us some of the habits that you've acquired over the years? And I know, I know this is ironic because we just said focus on your own strengths, but I'd love to hear what are the things that you've kind of created your day around, maybe your morning routine or your evening routine. I know this is 
something that people love to hear about and including myself. Do you do that? Like what John Maxwell said about reflecting on your day? I've got a simple rule and I teach all my clients this rule. And it's not Johan that's so clever. I've learned it out of all the books and stuff that I've read. They call it the five hour rule every week. I call it your power hour. Start implementing for yourself and power hour every day. In that hour, you focus on yourself. You read about information and you look at video clips or you listen to podcasts. Discover who you are, that personal development stuff. Power hour. Immediately will people say, but Johanna, I haven't got an hour. I said, but you don't have to start with an hour. Start with 15 minutes. And there's no one that I speak to that say to me, but I haven't got 15 minutes. Okay, start with 15 minutes. But it's the consistency that's the most important thing. It's like going to the gym, Louis. It will not help if I go once a month and I train for six hours in, the, in, in that session. Rather go three times a week for 20 minutes. It's the consistency. It's compound interest over time. And that's the one habit that I, that I always teach to all my clients. Get that power hour. You will not believe what that power hour will do for you over 5, 10, 20, 30 years. In fact, the research will point out if you spend an hour every day, Monday to Friday, on one specific topic, you will have the same knowledge than anyone doing a degree in that specific topic. One hour a day. And I still do that today after 40 years. So what does that hour look like for you now after 40 years? What would be the kind of content that you would consume at this level? Is it things that have just popped up on your path or is there any specific theme or how do you filter out? Because there's, there's a lot out there. You can spend 24 hours <laughs> just uh, watching videos and uh, podcasts. How do you filter out the content that's relevant to you at this stage? I've got a huge network of people that I talk to on a regular basis. And uh, one of our friends recommended this book to, to me over the week. In fact, 24 hours, I got the book. I've already read half of the book. But for those that I can't see, this gentleman, I said, see this. Thank you very much for recommending this book. So to answer your question, I Can talk you read to people, that title for us, Johan, just for I those listening? Mention, people say to me, Johan, read this book. Go and look at that. So that how I, that's how I get to all these different things. And it's not just personal development or, or work-related stuff. Over the years, it's definitely not that. But that's a huge uh, resource for me to tap into other people who also are fond readers and personal development. What do you read at this stage? What can you recommend? And, and yeah, that's how I get those stuff. The other way that I read a book, in many of these books, they will mention some other people in the book, successful people. And then I look at that name and I start doing my research on that name in the book. And in that way, I also discovered many unbelievable things. Why do people write a book? They're successful. That's why they're a writer. And they've 40 years experience in 300 pages. If you can read that book in a month, it saves you 39 years. I love that way of thinking about it, that someone's condensed the experience into something that you can digest and save you all of that time, or at least give you another perspective on that 
topic. So do you go broad when there's topics or do you decide and, and really go deep in that topic and want to know everything about that? Yeah, like on sales and, and successful people in sales and specifically in the sales uh, industry that we are in the financial services industry, I do my research. I even contact the people if they're still alive and I have a conversation with them. I mean, Dr. Donald Clifton, who started the Strength Finder movement. In my visit at Gallup in 2007, I went to the university where he studied, and he was the dean there at the faculty. I met some people that were youngsters when he was there. There's old people like me now, and I had a conversation with them. So, yeah, I made an effort of, of going deep and wide in a specific topic that interests me. I want to know everything. This is wonderful. And it's really, I mean, I've experienced that when I'm looking for something on a specific topic, instead of me wasting my time, I should just go to Johan. I learned that over and over again. Thank you for the compliment, Louis. So Johan, what, what does the future look like for this financial planning industry? I know you are gifted with that ability to kind of ha have accumulate your knowledge, but also use that to project what you think the future could be. And, I, and we won't hold you to this, but I'd love for you to explore and, and share with us what you think this could be moving into. Shall I start with the bad news first? Yes. I think Let's the pull bad off the news, <laughs> The bad news for the industry is, gentlemen, uh, the woman is going to infiltrate this industry on a massive scale. I think this is the perfect industry for women. And I've seen this is where I hit the, the applause years, button. <laughs> and there's only one or two that you and I know of because they are few and in between in this industry. But I want to say that in the next 10 years, 50% of the people in this industry is going to be women, and it's beautiful. It's great for the industry. So that's the first thing that I would say that's definitely going to happen. So C for can the we, men. Can we, can we pause there? Yes. Well, sure. Why are you saying that? There are unbelievable individuals, women out there in, in the workforce and in the world that we don't recognize. Unbelievable people because they are unique. I've seen it when they do the assessment. And you and I know about the, the, the command talent and the self-assurance talent. We know, we know women with that talent. And it's beautiful to see how it plays out uh, in the industry. And I think the other reason is and that's, sorry, guys, it's just how we are made, made up. We don't have that soft, empathy, beautiful traits that women just, they just have it. Uh, and that's their competitive advantage, I would say, in the industry. And they should come and see it in the industry and, and use it to their benefit. Because there are many individuals, women individuals in the world, because of what's going on in the world, single parents. Many women would love to rather talk to another woman uh, who go through exactly the same thing. So, yeah, that's the first thing. But I, I don't say it in a negative way. Guys, we also can offer something that the women can't offer. So there's, there's a place for us as well. But we're going to have to change our mind from graphs and figures, and it's all about the money, to a bigger picture. And what I say, the bigger picture is you're going to have to look at your client and look at the well-being of the client, the whole picture of well-being, not just financial well-being, all the other areas of well-being. 
So that's how I see the industry is going to change. I think we're also going to change the name from financial planner to something else. I don't know what it will be. But if you look back in history, as I've said to you, I started as an insurance agent. No one calls you today insurance agent. So the name is going to change. Uh, and the reality is there's occupations today in the world that 10 years and 15 years ago, we never thought that that's going to be an occupation. So, yeah, I think the name financial planner is also going to change to something else, maybe a well-being builder or whatever. Uh, and that's also positive. As long as we we evolved and we grow and, and, and we get a better industry at the end of the day. So, yeah. Two things. Women is going to enter the industry in a massive way. But for the men, if you start to change your mind and looking at the bigger picture, looking at the full picture of well-being for your client, you're also going to have an unbelievable uh, time in the industry. Yuan, I think we share this passion. And what's interesting is, do you think clients approach this knowing what they need? No, clients don't know what they need. They're clueless. We are the so-called expert. And it's up to us to make sure that we provide that expertise and value to our client. Think about yourself. If you walk into any shop and you want to buy something, you are not the expert. You're clueless. Yeah, you've got some information. Maybe you've Googled something on the internet uh, and you've made up your mind that, yeah, you've got an idea to buy this vehicle, but you go into the dealership talk to the expert and get that final information that only the expert can offer you. And that's why I say, guys, women in this industry, if you are an expert and you qualify yourself to be in that class, you will always have work. In fact, you're going to have more work than what you have at this stage. Your clients aren't experts. You are the expert and you're going to have to provide it in an expert way to your client. You want somehow I think this is already playing out. I mean, if I just reflect on the three practices that I look up to, they're all run by women and it's not a coincidence. So maybe the future is already here. Maybe, maybe this is not something we just, maybe it's, it's just unevenly distributed. Yeah, Louis, the, the other positive thing is those women with those strong leadership skills, they also recognize that they need the gentleman as well. There's a reason for men and women in, in, in life. We need to start to work together. And that's the other thing that I see in the industry starting to happen. People start to work together. I mean, in my days, the three biggest insurance companies in South Africa 40 years ago, it, it was like war. You don't talk to those people. <laughs> And, and we know what we talk about. The blue, the blue company and the green company, we don't talk to each other. It was just, you don't go there. Why don't we collaborate more and start working together? Guys, girls, working together. Companies start working together. That's where the power lies. Focus on your own strength and get some other people that you can collaborate with and work together and offer your client that aha experience that no one else can offer them who's trying to do everything they No, You can't do everything working together. So Johan, as we kind of get to the end of this show, let's say there's a 40 year old male listening to this. That's been a financial planner for the last 15, 20 years. That's saying, 
I want to start working on these skills. I want to start working on doing more for my clients. What, what nuggets would you leave for them or what kind of inspiration would you leave for them? Well, the first thing is you must have, have that open mindset. It's a decision at the end of the day. And go and try it at least for three months. If it doesn't work for you after three months, then you can go back to the old way of doing it. But at least go and try it. You've got nothing to lose. And people are scared to do that. I think they're all in a comfort zone. They don't want to try stuff. I mean, I'm also in my 60s and I try stuff. I try to use the technology. Yeah, I'm not the expert, but at least I'm trying. What do you have to lose? That's the first thing. Have an open mind and try stuff. You've got nothing to lose. I love that curiosity and the approach to say, hey, what's the worst that can happen? You know, if you yeah. disrupt yourself, then no one else will have that opportunity and you yeah. might just be surprised. I mean, I'm a typical example. 12 years ago, people say to me, but Johan, you are crazy to leave the industry after 27 years. You've been unbelievable, successful. I said, no, I'm going to try it. Now, 12 years later, looking back, I said, that was an unbelievable, great decision. Because if I didn't do that, I would have never experienced what I've experienced over the last 12 years. I would have never ended up in uh, the States. No, go and try it. What do you have to lose? Live in the moment. Go for it. You've got nothing to lose. I don't think there's a better way to end this conversation. I want to thank you very much for your passion and your wisdom and the work that you do by creating the platform to improve the, the service and the experience and the delivery of that to financial planners, I guess, across the globe now. Louis, I also want to thank you out of my heart for you providing the opportunity and the platform that you are doing. I know that you also put in a lot of energy and uh, all the other knowledge that you acquired over the years into the industry, back to the youngsters. Uh, you and I know that money can't buy that tinkle in the eye when you people the penny drops for them and that's what it's all about uh, give back uh, you've got nothing to lose by doing that there's no money that can pay for that what a privilege if you can get into that position where you can pay back so I want to command you I want to salute you thank you for your effort helping the industry we'll tackle this together thank you Anne. thank you thank you